but my task this morning is to share about the bread. And, you know, we, we have a very different view of bread uh, in today's world than they did in the Old Testament or even in the New Testament. Um, when, I, when I hear the word bread, most of the time, and I think most people are like this, you think of a, a loaf of bread, the store-bought, you know, with a plastic sleeve over it. Um, some people might think of biscuits. Uh, you might even think of Italian bread or French bread. Um, but either way, the way we see bread is a little bit different. Um, we see bread as something that's added on to a meal. You know, when we think of a meal, we think, you know, steak and baked potato or lasagna or some main dish. And then maybe we'll have bread on the side. Um, but that's not really the way people in biblical times saw bread. <clears throat> A lot of the time, bread was the meal. Um, a couple of passages I would like to share with you. One is in Genesis, and you, you can turn there if you want to, but I'm not going to read the Scripture. I'll just share the story. It's when Abraham and Lot have already separated, and Abraham is by the trees of Mamre, the oaks, I believe, is what it says, and there, he get he receives three visitors, and he realizes that they are very important people. It turns out, two of them are angels. The other one, most scholars think, it's the pre-incarnate Christ. But the first thing that Abraham does is he goes to Sarah and says, "I need you to make some bread," and it wasn't just a little bread; it was a lot of bread. Um, he also tells one of his servants to prepare a, a bull, I believe it is. Um, and Abraham fixes a, not just a little food, as he says it, but a feast for these three visitors. And, you know, the, the point of that story is obviously the, the visitors that he had and the hospitality he showed. But what I would like us to understand from it was that the first thing he did was say, we need bread. He didn't tell his servant to go get a cow first. He didn't go pick some green beans. <clears throat> Excuse me. The first thing he did was ask Sarah to bake bread. If you go on a little farther, another episode in in Scripture that I would like to share is from 1 Kings. Um, and I believe it is chapter 17. And this is when Elijah, um, just before he has the confrontation with the prophets of Baal, he goes to visit, so God tells him to go visit a widow in Zarephath. <clears throat> and, you know, he, he approaches this woman and says, 
will you make me something to eat? <clears throat> Excuse me. And she is out gathering sticks to go home and make a fire so that she can use what little flour she and her son have left to bake bread and, in her words, and then die. And, you know, when I was little, I really didn't understand that. I, why would you eat bread and then die? Well, what she was saying was that that bread is the only thing that was sustaining them. And once it was gone, they would starve to death. The only sustenance that they had was bread. The only hope that they had was bread. And, you know, the misunderstanding I had <clears throat> was that in that time, what she was saying is that bread was the measure of life and death. Once the bread was gone, they were out of food and would starve to death. And in essence, they had no hope. Um, and I, I point out these instances uh, to highlight the importance of bread in that culture. And that really didn't change very much into the New Testament. <clears throat> in, in these two instances, we see that bread was the first consideration and it was the last hope that people had. And another illustration I would like to make from, from my own life, you know, here recently, like I said before, you know, we kind of shy away from bread sometimes because it's too many carbs. Um, people think that bread is the root of all kinds of evil. Um, but it's really not. I personally think bread is wonderful. I'll eat bread any kind. Um, I know if anybody has ever been to, I think it's Texas Steakhouse, where they have, I think it's yeast rolls. Um, if you've ever sat down and filled up on bread before you, your meal gets there, you'll know what I'm getting ready to share. <clears throat> um, as some of you may know, mom is really good at baking bread. Uh, and there was one time, it's been two or three years ago, it was about this time of year, it was around my birthday. <clears throat> and I think, I think Laura had made lasagna. And mom and dad made bread. And for whatever reason, the dough rose so much that they were able to make three loaves. Most time it was only two. Um, but one of them was kind of small. And it had to come out of the oven first. And because it, it got done quicker because it was smaller. And, you know, Dad take, takes this loaf of bread and starts cutting it up. And, and people start coming into the kitchen. <laughs> And everybody was there. It was me and Ashley and my kids and Laura and Chris and her kids and mom and dad. And before you know it, that loaf of bread was gone. Well, by the time we got done with that, the rest of the bread was done. Mom takes it out of the oven and dad cuts another loaf of bread. And we're all standing there <clears throat> around the island just eating bread. 
And before we knew it, two loaves of bread were gone. And we said, wait a minute, we need to save some of this for our meal. But what we didn't realize was that the, meal, the important part of that meal had just happened. We had shared bread. And that's the way I want us to think about communion this morning. Like it or not, we, this congregation, are family. You know, look around at your brothers and sisters. We are gathering around a table to eat bread. And that is important. The word community comes from the same root that communion comes from. And we are sharing this meal in community. In communion with our Savior. Now don't misunderstand, Christ is the center of this. He is the most important part. Just like when Abraham told Sarah to bake bread, the bread was the most important part. He's the one that gives us hope just like the widow from Zarephath, her hope was in that cake of bread. And if you read that Scripture later on, God did a miracle and the flour nor the oil ever ran out as long as Elijah was there. The hope that we have is in Christ. And we celebrate that by sharing in communion. <clears throat> <clears throat> Excuse me. In John chapter 6, and I'm sure everyone remembers this from when Jacob covered it in his series of sermons. In chapter 6, verse 35, Jesus declares, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never go hungry, and he who believes in me will never be thirsty. So you take all of the things that bread symbolized to the people in this culture. Life, hope, sustenance, community. You understand a little bit more about what Christ was saying right here. I know we understand this verse in our terms but is much more fuller than that. <clears throat> As we take the first layer off of your communion cup to access the bread, <clears throat> in Matthew chapter 26, at the Last Supper, Jesus institutes something. <clears throat> In verse 26, Jesus, while they were eating, Jesus took bread, gave thanks and broke it, and gave it to His disciples saying, Take, eat, this is My body. Like I said, in... 
our culture that, you know, sometimes has a very low view of bread, we miss the significance of that. <clears throat> Jesus was saying, this is what will keep you alive. This is what you are to hope in. The same way you hope in a regular loaf of bread to keep you alive. Your hope is in me. As we share the bread, let us pray. Lord God, thank You so much for Your body that was broken for us. Lord, thank You for what it means. Lord, I pray that You would help us to understand a little bit more about the Lord's Supper and about Your sacrifice. As we share communion, Lord, I pray that You would help us to see it as a celebration. Albeit a very serious one, it is a celebration. Help us to look at our friends and neighbors in this room as more than that. Help us to see them as family. But Lord, most importantly, I pray that You would help us to see You as our sustainer and as our hope. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. thankful for that good word from David this morning and he's already touched on our scripture text this morning Matthew chapter 26 and verse 26 the Bible says and as they were eating Jesus took bread blessed and broke it and gave it to his disciples and said take eat this is my body and then he took the cup and gave thanks and gave it to them saying drink from it all of you for this is my blood of the new covenant which is shed for many for the remission of sins I'm thankful for this solemn assembly this morning to remember his broken body and to remember his um, spilled blood and as David uh, mentioned it's about communion. It's about fellowship. And Jesus said this is his new covenant, the New Testament. And what is a covenant? It is an agreement that God enters into. It is a covenant relationship. And it is through the broken body of Christ and through the shed blood of Christ that we have communion, relationship, fellowship with God and fellowship with one another so Jesus gave the cup, the grape juice, the wine, symbolic of his blood that would be spilled. But all throughout scripture, throughout human history, we see a scarlet thread of blood. And Jesus shows us how that he fulfilled God's 
redemptive plan for humanity. And I want to look at just some instances. We're going to follow this scarlet thread throughout history, throughout the Word of God. And of course, every blood sacrifice, every ounce that was spilled, points to the greater sacrifice, the perfect sacrifice, which is Jesus Christ Himself. We see the first sacrifice being made in the book of Genesis shortly after Adam and Eve sinned. It was God Himself who made the first sacrifice. After they sinned, they lost their innocence, they lost their glory. They realized they were naked and God clothed them in the skins of animals. It was in paradise itself that the first shedding of blood took place in order to cover man's sin. And then Adam and Eve, they had two sons who brought an offering to God. The Bible says that the elder Cain, he brought from the fruit of the ground Abel, being a shepherd, he brought the best of his flock to the Lord. And the word says that God had respect unto Abel's offering, being offered by faith, but he did not receive Cain's. So once more, God accepts the blood sacrifice over the works of man, even over the, the best that man can do in his religion and his righteousness. Only the blood will do. Then we go on and we read of Abraham in Genesis chapter 22. Abraham, he had finally received the promised son that he had hoped for and prayed for for years. And then God tells him, go and offer him as a sacrifice upon Mount Moriah. So Abraham followed God's command. He bound Isaac with the wood. Isaac carried the wood up the hill Abraham had the fire, the knife in hand, and as they were making their trek up the mountain, Isaac looked around and he said, Where is the lamb? He realized there was no sacrifice, and Abraham replied, God himself will provide the lamb. God will provide himself a sacrifice. You know what that literally means? That means God would be provided as the sacrifice. God would give himself, his blood, as the sacrifice. That question, where is the lamb? It echoes throughout the centuries, and then it's answered by John the Baptist in John chapter 1, verse 29, where he says, Behold, the Lamb of God, speaking of Jesus Christ. Then we read in the book of Exodus of the, the Passover lamb. Israel had been living in Egypt as slaves, They'd been there for over 400 years, and God was going to deliver them. God raised up Moses to deliver the people from bondage. And after being commanded of God to let his people go, Pharaoh continued to harden his heart. And so after nine plagues, one more remained, which would be a death blow to those who were in Egypt. God would pass through the land, and he would slay the firstborn of the household. But what were the children of Israel to do? They were to get a perfect spotless lamb on the tenth day. And they were to keep it until the fourteenth day. And they were to slay that lamb. And they were to apply the blood over the doorpost. So that when the destroyer came to the home, he would pass over them. 
It was the blood that caused the wrath of God to pass over the homes of the Israelites. And it is the blood of Christ that causes the wrath of God to pass over us and able to um, deliver us not from Egyptian bondage, but from the bondage to sin. Isaiah prophesied of a suffering servant who would give himself for our sins. And finally, in the book of Revelation, we see that the apostle John re receives a, a glimpse into the throne room of heaven. And what does he see? He has heard about the lion of the tribe of Judah who has conquered sin by his resurrection. And he thinks he's going to see a lion. But what does he see? He sees that lamb that we've talked about all throughout scripture. And it says that he was as a lamb who had been slain. He still bears in his body the marks of crucifixion. The Bible says in Leviticus chapter 17 in verse 11, says the life of the flesh is in the blood. And this is God speaking. And I have given it to you upon the altar to make an atonement. It is a satisfaction for your souls. For it is the blood that makes atonement for the soul. So many people have a, an idea of Christianity as just being a list of things to do and things not to do or how to be good, moral, ethical people. But then they get offended when we talk about the blood of Christ. But let me tell you, it is the blood of Christ that gives life. Without blood, the human body is dead. It is blood that supplies oxygen and nutrients. Think about it. We wouldn't be alive without blood. And without the blood of Christ, it's just a dead religion like anything else. It takes the blood of Christ to give us life. The Bible says that the wages of sin is death. Every one of us, we owe our very lives to God. And when we sin, we cheat God out of what is rightfully His. When we sin, we willfully rebel against God's goodness and we choose death instead. Sin and death shows us the corruption of sin. It shows us the corruption of our own choices. That when we choose to rebel against God, we choose death instead of life. And so the only way for us to become alive is if someone trades his life for ours. We are dead in trespasses and sins and only a blood transfusion can bring us back to life. And that is the blood of Jesus Christ because life is in his blood. Hebrews 9.22 says that there is no remission of sins without the shedding of blood. People say, well, why did Jesus have to die? Couldn't God just have winked at sin and said, you know what, it's okay, I'm a loving God, I'm a compassionate God. But you know what, if he had done that, he would not be a just God. Sin had to be punished. Sin had to be dealt with. Someone had to pay the price for our sin. Someone had to face death itself and through his death, he conquered death. Through his shed blood, he infuses life to those who will believe. He makes atonement for our sin. Just as the Old Testament sacrifice, that lamb would bear the penalty, the sin of that person, die in their place. So Jesus Christ died in our place. The blood says, I will die for you. I will die so that you may live. I will be condemned so that you can be set free. I will be declared guilty so that you can be declared justified. That is why it takes the blood of Jesus Christ. 
His blood is a redeeming blood. In Ephesians chapter 1, verse 17, Paul writes, In Him, speaking of Christ, we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of His grace. What does redemption mean? Redemption is a purchase. Now, if you were a slave in biblical times, if someone loved you enough and would be gracious enough, and could afford it, they could uh, spend some money, they could pay the price, whatever that price may be, and redeem you. So Jesus Christ paid the ultimate price. He gave His life. He shed His blood in order to redeem us from bondage of sin. His blood is a cleansing blood. Isaiah 1.18 says, Come now and let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they should be white as snow. Thank God for the cleansing blood of Jesus Christ. I want you to know this morning, I don't care where you've been or what you've done. Jesus' blood is sufficient to cleanse you from each and every sin. And our last point, His blood is a precious blood. His blood is a precious blood. First Peter 1.18 He says, Knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold from your aimless conduct received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as a lamb without blemish. There we see the lamb and there we see the blood, the scarlet cord throughout biblical history. We see God's redemptive plan through the blood of His Son. His blood is precious. His blood is priceless. So how much does He love you? How committed is He to you? How much did He give for you? He gave it all. He gave His best. He gave His precious blood you and I this morning. He gave heaven's best and Jesus gave his all for you. He died so that you might live. He died that he might have us and purchase us with his blood. So if you will, let's take our cup. We will undo the second layer Remember Jesus said, as oft as you do this, do this in remembrance of me. So communion is an appreciation for what Jesus has done. It's also an expectation. He said, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine again until I drink it anew with you in the kingdom of God. So as we drink this juice, remember his shed blood, his precious, priceless blood that was shed for you, that was shed for me. And let's Go into this communion with eager expectation when Jesus Christ will come again and take us to be with Him. I'm going to turn the service over to Brother David. In verse 30 of Matthew chapter 26, it says, When they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. So we'll be dismissed this morning with a song. Um, if our musicians would come and lead us. Um, I hope this has been enlightening.
Um, I'll, I'll be very honest. I, I have a new appreciation for communion um, after studying about the bread. <clears throat> um, for so long, I, I wondered about the bread. I didn't really, I didn't really get it because, you know, the blood's kind of the important part. <laughs> I always thought because um, that's what cleanses us from sin. That's what Christ shed, but in the process of going through this, I came to the realization that the bread gives us hope and physical life. It keeps us alive. And Christ does that. The blood is what cleanses us and allows us to live eternally with God. Um, so they are both necessary. Um, I'll turn it over to Don at this point. 